You know what, Jason? That sounds like a lot of fluff and bullshit. This week on That Chain Show, I'm going to tell you a story about the best advice I ever got. Welcome back to That Chain Show. I'm Jason Little, your host. This is a weekly 15-minute or so show where I take questions from Lean Coffees and workshops and stories and try to give you some insights so you can figure out how to jiggle your change loose. So we're a couple of episodes behind. The latest lockdown has made it a little more difficult to get things recorded, but hopefully this week we're back to our regular weekly schedule. So let's get right into this week's episode. And if you are on LinkedIn, or Twitter or any social media network, you will probably notice tons of easy answers from you can't do agile, you have to be agile. Leaders need to change their mindset. Organizations fail because they don't shift their culture and all these cutesy statements that get tons of retweets and likes and reactions. And then you go back to work on Monday, 10 o'clock in the morning, and you've got a stakeholder meeting because the change isn't going well. What do you do? You're stuck. You're going to go into that meeting and say, hey, it's not working because we haven't shifted our mindset. Yeah, you're going to get fired. So the story that this was inspired from was this was mid-late 2000s, I guess, working in an organization, and we were working in a medium-ish sized organization, I guess, and we were doing quarterly improvement initiatives, so we were using Toyota's A3 report, which was a precursor to change canvases, basically, and uh, every quarter we would get all the people together who needed to work on stuff, we'd create the plan together, we'd do it for a quarter, we'd do a retrospective, see what happened, and then we would get back into that same rhythm. So after the six months, they wanted us to provide some insights and some advice this time. So instead of just it being about co-creation, it was more about, now tell us what you think we should do, given that we've been doing this for six months. So um, I have a habit of always hiring an external coach on any of my engagements. So that in journaling and creating a diary, so just writing down some assumptions going in, bullet points along the way, and then some summary on the way out, and just reviewing those from time to time for a different perspective. But hiring that external coach was super valuable because, you know, we are talking to them, we described, here's the dynamics, you know, here's the conversation that brought us into the organization, here's some of our observations and things that we think. And now here's the plan. Uh, And that was his reaction. His reaction was, you know, looks like a lot of fluff and bullshit. And, you know, if you know anything about coaching, I don't, I don't think they teach that in coaching school. I don't think they teach coaches to swear at their clients. But uh, for me, it was the frying pan in the head that really opened my eyes to how frickin' hard change is. So when we see these cutesy one-line statements and easy answers that, let's face it, they're designed with good intent, they're inspirational, But they're clickbait. They're designed to get retweets and shares and likes and more followers, which gets more eyeballs on you and your products and your services, and you can sell more stuff. So let's not pretend that that's not part of the equation. So on one hand, they're kind of useful because they do inspire us, and they can be a good coping mechanism, right? Because doing change work a lot of the times... It sucks. It can be depressing. It can be lonely, especially if you're an independent consultant and you look to these easy answers and as a way to cope with how crappy your client is. Um, and that's in some cases, obviously not in all cases. So they, they can kind of serve a purpose. What I wanted to do with this episode was to pick at some of those things and really get you to think about, you know, when people tweet these things out designed to get 4 million retweets, Uh, How do we make those real? 
how do we translate those into the real world when I go back into my organization on Monday morning? The first one I wanted to pick on, and I'm saying pick on, but please consider this to be lighthearted. I don't take myself very seriously, and I'm not trying to talk about these things in a way that embarrasses the people who tweeted these things out, because I'm not going to mention who they were. Um, you might have seen some of these things, so that that's not the intent of this at all. The intent is really, when you scratch the surface of that easy answer, what does it really mean? So the first one that I'm going to pick on is uh, one that uh, was on LinkedIn, there were three the question was, how do you change the culture? Or what's the best approach for, for, for changing culture? And number one, the clue is if the question of the statement is polarizing or binary, right away you know it's designed just to get eyeballs on it and to rouse a reaction up. I mean, getting people riled up on Twitter is not all that difficult in the first place. But uh, so keep that in your pocket for a bit. So the first one was it's top down. That's the approach we need to take. The second box was it's bottom up. We've got to do a bottom up approach. And the third one was take a wild guess. Let's do it together. Everybody needs to be involved and yay, everybody picks that option and it gets 10 million uh, shares and likes. And now, and again, this is designed to be lighthearted. Don't take it seriously, but let's pick at that a bit. Let's just say you work for a little company called Bosch that has 450,000-ish employees. Yeah, let's get everybody involved in that cultural transformation. You know, um, try to get five people to agree on pizza toppings. You'll never do it. How are you going to get 450,000 people to agree on how we're going to shift the culture and move it forward? So when you really look at that, get everybody involved, that's going to go into everybody's brain and they're going to interpret it in a different way. So if you look at shifting culture, you know, William Schneider talks about this in the re-engineering alternative. There's the idea of dominant and subcultures. All organizations have a dominant culture and they're filled with subcultures. Now, few people go past that reading and when you actually look at the different dimensions within organizations, each of those cultures have a different approach for that. So a company might have a more control culture with respect to their strategy, but they might have a more collaborative culture with how they do research and development. So it's not as simple just to say this team has that culture. It depends what that team is doing. Are they executing something? Are they creating a new strategy? Are they they, they changing uh, existing products? What is it that they're trying to do? It's a lot more complicated than just to say dominant and subcultures. So if you want to get everybody involved in culture change, how does that manifest itself in a real way? Well, one organization I worked with, they wanted to shift their culture to what they were calling a say-anything culture. And, all right, so I did a session. There were 55 managers um, in the room and uh, did a session on enacted versus espoused theory. So, yes, we got everybody involved. Yay! And the facilitated exercise was, I want you to write down statements that describe the culture that you want. Write down some adjectives that describe it. Now, cluster those things close to the middle of this whiteboard if you have a story that supports it, and put it closer to the outside if you don't see evidence of that story. So we did this exercise, we had some great conversations, and then we closed off the session with, now I want you to record a 60-second clip and just act a, um, a scene where you're in front of the water cooler six months from now, imagining you've achieved that uh, future state and, and that culture that's been shifted what would that conversation look like? So you just did a product release, what would be a conversation you would have at the water cooler that demonstrates 
you've achieved that culture. At the end of the two days, we basically find, f found out that the, the culture they wanted to shift was a result of a leadership change. So the previous leader was very collaborative, the new leader was very controlly from their perspective. And they didn't have the courage to speak up in front of the new leader. And that was the conclusion that they came up to. The culture, that was the conclusion they came to. The culture was okay. They were stuck because they didn't feel free to speak up in front of the new leader because that new leader um, had a different attitude and a different approach to the previous one. So when we look at that kind of uh, uh, cute statement about shifting culture, um, once you start to pick at it, you might find out that's not really what you want to do and that might not even be close to what the problem is. And uh, if you want some more reinforcement for that idea, read a great book called Are Your Lights On by Jerry Weinberg. And it will really open up your mind to, to different perspectives about what is, what is it that people are asking for with what they actually want. The next one I'm going to pick on is a universal agile one, and uh, I remember seeing this, um, you know, back when we were allowed to go outside and go to in-person conferences. A lot of the agile conferences, they they would have like big whiteboards where people could just post things on, and there were always people that posted, um, you know, you can't do agile, you have to be agile, and then it's written in big letters and lots of smiley faces, and people are cheering and yay, you have to be, you can't do, and um, when you start to pick at that thing, again. You get into the good stuff. You get into things like, hmm, if your belief is you have to be agile and it's all about culture and mindset, you might almost say that you're the one with the fixed mindset. Because if that's your only belief and you will not deviate from that belief, that's kind of what a fixed mindset is. And when you start to pick away at that thing, sometimes people need to try the practices first. So they need to do agile before they can be agile. But when you start to have those conversations about what does this mean? What does this mean to us? And what does this mean in our environment? A really simple exercise for that is, um, I do this a lot in my workshops, is you get people to, in the size of a tweet, how would you describe agile or agility or whatever the context is? You have people write these things down, you put the manifesto up, and you say, now position your tweet if you think it's closer to the left side or closer to the right side. And you basically look for where we are aligned and where we're misaligned and why. And then you can start to get into you know, questions like that agile stuff is, agile is a very loaded term. You know, 15 years ago, uh, it was probably a lot easier to get started with this stuff. Now it's a lot more difficult because there's so much, you know, agile people will call it misinformation. It's just, there's a lot more information. There's a lot more certifications, training methods. As soon as you see the big consulting firms starting to push agile, you know that they're, you know, generally speaking, it's outdated and old. Um, but it's not misinformation, it's interpretation based on personal beliefs. So we really need to pick at that conversation and start to really think about when we say it, what does it mean to us and in our context? You know, if you're building a space shuttle and you're doing it in an agile way, it's going to look a whole lot different than if you're building a music player and you're using agile to do that. All right, so I could be here all day, but I'm going to pick on one more thing and then get into the wrap up. And this one is about leaders. So this was some tweet. It was something like uh, leaders need to stop taking control and they need to give control back. And yay, again, 40 million retweets, blah, blah, blah. And when you really pick at that, you forget everybody has bosses. And I know this, this is rampant in the Agile community and generally speaking in the consulting community at large is 
there's a tendency to blame leaders. I don't think a lot of people realize how hard that job is. I mean, there's not many people on the planet that can pretend to think they know what it feels like to run a Fortune 500 company. But it's pretty easy to say, oh, well, that CEO of Bosch is not involved in the day-to-day agile transformation. Therefore, I mean, that's just utterly ridiculous. So first, we've got to give leaders a bit of a break and recognize that they're human and they're just as stuck in the soup as the rest of us. And the second thing is really understanding how that behavior came to be in the first place. Because when you talk about... If leaders give control back and they let the people doing the work decide the best how to do the work, which personally I believe that's the right way to go, and you don't see them doing that, don't leap to, well, it's their mindset. They need to change their mindset or we need to shift the culture in the organization. Try to understand why that that, that, uh, that culture or that leadership stance exists in the first place. Usually it's learned behavior. Like I said, everybody's got a boss. So even, you know, the CEO reports to a board in public companies, and sometimes the decisions they make are based on pressure from the board. These are real things that people have to deal with in their organizations. And it's easy to say, just give control back. But when you look at when things go wrong, and they do, things go wrong in organizations all the time. It's not the end of the world. But things go wrong, and as humans, we blame people. That's the way humans are. Obviously, some of us are more enlightened than others, and we will not externalize blame, but inside, we're thinking, somebody fucked up. And that is where we now need to really empathize with those leaders and try to understand where's the right boundary. Where is the amount of autonomy we can push down to the team and give them control back and really talk about what our decision-making boundaries are? Those can be things like, what's the consequence of failure? What's the consequence of it, um, you know, uh, maybe not outright failure, but what's the consequence of sending a ripple throughout the rest of the organization that this team tried something differently? They stepped outside the official process. I've seen that in big organizations. I've seen cases where, you know, some leaders are happier to make a mistake doing things the old way as opposed to trying something new. Um, and it has nothing to do with the with the level of control. It's I'm the one that's going to get yelled at for this. So even though I would like to defer the decision down to the team. At the end of the day, it's going to be my neck that I'm sticking out there for this, and some people might not feel safe to be able to do that. And I guess one more bonus one just on that vein is failure and safety. We need to create safety in our organizations, and we need to make it okay to fail. And it's almost like we're appealing, um, we're just um, trying to be overly nice. I've only ever heard one leader articulate this really well when it comes to failure and safety. It was, you have a license to learn. So in his view, if you make it safe for people to fail, you make it okay for people to not try. And obviously that's not true in 100% of the cases. But people won't take risks and they won't push if they, um, you know, fear that they're going to get in trouble for it. But then the opposite side is true. Some people will always take those risks. You know, sometimes us consultants, we make it sound like people are hiding under their desks and they're, they're afraid of everything and we need to create safety for them. And that's a habit of change agents who um, really value 
people to the degree of they turn into protectors. They feel it's their job as the change agent to protect people in the organization from the evil leaders or the evil culture or the control and things like that. So when we get into safety and failure, you know, the, again, those cutesy statements, the, thou shalt fail in order to learn, um, you know, employees do their best when they have personal safety. There's an element of truth to all of it. But when you come into work in the morning and you want to try to figure out how to take action on that, what do you do? A lot of it's your own behavior. A lot of it is con being congruent. So there's safety. You demonstrate what it's like to operate in a safe way when you're congruent. So even if you think that uh, you know you need to have a difficult conversation or if someone in the organization or a leader is doing something that you don't agree with, congruence is when you speak up. It doesn't mean you have to, to do that in, a, in a, an attacking way. It just means you have to say, hmm, I don't agree with this because of this, that, and the other. Can we have a conversation about it? That's being very clear, that's being very congruent, and that's actually showing that you feel safe enough, I guess, to speak up. Uh, some will call that courageous. Some will say if you're a consultant and you're acting that way, it's because you're a consultant, you expect to be fired anyway, it's not a big deal. And sometimes it's a lot easier when you're an outsider. But as soon as you start to pick up those easy statements, you really get into, it's that conversation, it's the relationship you have with the leaders and the people in the organization. Um, when you start to talk about these deeper things, you really start to uncover you know, why did that why did that cute statement make us go, yay, that's great, we should totally do that. And now what are we actually going to do about it? So I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Change Show. Remember to like and subscribe if you're watching this on LCM TV. You can catch the video versions, and obviously you can catch them in your favorite podcast reader. And I will see you next time.